Hi, my name is Caitlin and welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough, that in the gospel we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance this gospel message of Jesus Christ. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is it. The last sermon in the sermon series we call Gifted. I know this is going to irk some of you, some of you here maybe, some of you who are watching online, you love a good controversy, right? You guys know, we all used to be in high school, right? Some of us, that was a little longer ago than others. But you know, there's, there's always those girls in high school, guys too, it's not just girls, guys too, but specifically girls, and they would always say, oh, I just hate drama. Oh, drama, get me away from it. I, I found personally in my experience, the girls that said that were always the one who loved drama the most. So, you know, they'd always, oh, I hate drama, but, but did you hear? Right, right. We love a good controversy. Some of us more than others. Some of us like the drama. So I know this is going to irk some of you, because today, if you recognize our passage, we're in 1 Corinthians 13. But all the controversial stuff doesn't come until 1 Corinthians 14. You see how I sidestepped that train? It was coming down the tracks, heading right for us, and I just, whoop, sidestepped it. Missed it entirely. We're not going to talk about it, because I didn't feel like it fit in this, or we needed it in this sermon series. I do want to make one comment, though, on 1 Corinthians 14. For those of you who you just got to go into it, you, you love a controversy, whatever it is, I want to make one comment about 1 Corinthians 14, because there's some controversial stuff in there that we really like to twist to mean different things, all right? Remember, Paul is writing the letter of 1 Corinthians to the Corinthian church, okay? He's not writing it to the gospel house. Does that mean that we can't apply things from the letter of 1 Corinthians to the gospel house? It does not mean that. We can't absolutely apply them. But we've got to remember what his original intent was when he was writing this. Because the fact of the matter is, church, we call this church, right? 30 minutes of worship, approximately. We were a little short today, so that's going to be a heavenly knock against us. Just joking. But 30 minutes of service, announcements, teaching, altar call, that's church, right? Uh-uh. And that's not what church was back when Paul wrote this in about 50, between 50 and 55 AD, okay? We have to remember, when Paul is writing this, 1 Corinthians 14 is a very specific instruction to the Corinthian church of orderly worship. The Corinthian church had let things get a little out of control, a little out of order, and they were doing some things that were rubbing people the wrong way. And there was drama, right? People are saying, oh, did you see what so-and-so did in church the other day? And so Paul is writing to the church saying, remember, y'all, when we gather together, it's not a free-for-all. Just because you like the sound of your own voice doesn't mean that you stand up in service and give a 45-minute prophetic word, okay? That's what Paul's writing. So when Paul says stuff like, 
when, we, when there is a prophetic word, we only give two or three. When Paul says stuff like, when in service, women should not speak. That's a popular one today, right? How many of you women adhere to that? Right? We had women, we had women speaking today in service, right? Miss Lisa gave us the announcements. My lovely wife, Jana, sang a song. You've got to remember the cultural context that this comes in. All right? Now, we've got to be careful. I'm going to tell you, guys, this is a razor's edge. Razor's edge that we have to walk. Because there are other things that our society today likes to say, well, that was cultural back then. Y'all, sin isn't cultural. Sin is not cultural. What God called sin from the beginning is still sin today. Okay? Can we just put that out there? That's going to get me labeled as a lot of nasty stuff. I don't care. Because I'd rather be labeled in God's kingdom as his than on here on earth as something that I'm not. Okay? But sin is not cultural. Okay? This stuff, as far as how orders of service and how to conduct ourselves during a service... That's cultural to the church. It's cultural to the way that the church was set up. And so, I don't have time to break down. I would love to break down exactly how the Old Testament, or the, you know, Old slash New Testament, like that bridge church, how their services was set up. Maybe someday we'll talk about that. That day is not today. Because today, we talk about something that will really help us when we read 1 Corinthians 14 and want to stir up a bunch of drama. God's final word. Because 1 Corinthians 13 is the final word. Now look, it's not from Revelation, right? All you Bible scholars out there, you know Revelation's the last book of the Bible. So it's not literally the final word in the Bible. But love is always God's final word. And it's going to do us a world of good when we get into controversial passages like 1 Corinthians 14, if love leads the way. Not my ego, not my pride, not my cultural beliefs, but love leads the way. I'm going to blow y'all's minds here. You ready for this? When Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 13, he had no intention of it being read at every wedding performed from now until eternity. Isn't that funny? It's, it's funny, and I, I was talking to Jana about it. I don't think I have actually ever taught on 1 Corinthians 13 except at weddings. It's just not a passage we go to very often. But 1 Corinthians 13 unlocks everything for us, and it really is why we end our sermon series right here. We could go on and continue talking about some other stuff, but this is the perfect end because it summarizes everything that we've talked about up to this point. So we're going to talk about three things today. We're going to talk about the gifts without love. We're going to talk about love is a verb, and we're going to talk about when perfection comes. So, so those are our three main points today. First, we look at the gifts without love. Now listen, there is a very specific reason why Paul puts 1 Corinthians 13 smack dab in between 1 Corinthians 12, 
and 1 Corinthians 14. And it's not because numerically it comes next. Did you guys know that? When Paul wrote the letter of 1 Corinthians, he actually didn't write it in chapters and verses. Those didn't come along till long, long after he wrote all of this stuff. In fact, nowhere in the Bible, like way, way back in the beginning, if you were like, hey, look up Genesis 50, verse 4, they'd be like, dude, what are you talking about? What, like, what's that even mean? Because the, the, the whole like chapters, verses, all that stuff, none of that was originally written at all. They came about it later to make it easier to get to verses. But 1 Corinthians, Paul gives us the largest consecutive teaching on the Holy Spirit of anywhere in the Bible. Jesus gives us a really great teaching on the Holy Spirit. On his, this, this always blows my mind. You've heard it before, but on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus walking to be betrayed, right? Stops and gives us one of the greatest teachings on who the Holy Spirit is. But in that, Jesus kind of jumps, not all over the place, but he gives us a lot of teachings on a lot of things. In 1 Corinthians, Paul gives us the Holy Spirit. This is how he works in the church. And from chapter 12... 13 and 14, Paul lays out this consecutive teaching on the Holy Spirit. It's the largest teaching, the consecutive like that, that we have on the Holy Spirit. And 1 Corinthians 13 is right in the middle of it. Do you see what that means? Because I know it's super popular in the church today with Christians to just grab stuff from the Bible take it out, and say, well, this means this to me right here and right now. So this is what this means. We cannot do that. We can't do that. It will get you in hot water every time. You can, we can do it with isolated verses, but y'all, we can do it with entire chapters too. Cue every wedding since this has been written, right? Now look, I'm not saying it's wrong to put this passage in your wedding. It's, it's a nice reminder of, of love. But I am saying it's wrong to forget what Paul originally meant. 1 Corinthians 13 comes between 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 because it is a teaching on the Holy Spirit. Right? If not, guys, Paul's kind of a nutcase right? You guys know the people with ADD. If you're in here and you have ADD, you know it too well, but you know, it's like the dog in up, right? You're traveling along, squirrel, and then you keep going on to what you're doing. That, that, that's what we make this verse or this chapter out to be, isn't it? Paul's like, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, love. Oh, that was nice. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy... That's not what he did. Nowhere else in Paul's letters do we get any indication that he's spastic like that right? That's not his writing style. He's very put together, sometimes a little too put together. A lot of people are like, that Paul, he's kind of an arrogant jerk. But he's very educated, and so when he writes, he writes coherently, which means 1 Corinthians 13 is a chapter about the Spirit, not about weddings, not about your vows, but about the Holy Spirit. And when we stick it in there and figure out that this is about the Holy Spirit, that's when we can unlock that box that shows us everything that we've been talking about.
Because look what Paul says. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. This is what always gets me. Because I have, I've been, I've, before I was even a minister, I played music at just about everybody's wedding you could possibly imagine. I've been in the wedding scene for a long time. I've seen a lot of people get married, a lot of different people. And it's always funny to me. It has always been funny to me because I will see people stand up there. The, you know, the friend of the bride will come up and they'll read this passage. If I speak with tongues of men and angels but have not love, I profit nothing. And they go through this whole list. And I know the bride and the groom. And I'm thinking, man, if that bride and groom went to a church and somebody stood up in the middle of that church and spoke in tongues, they'd be out the door. They don't believe in that stuff. But it's hilarious because we have it at our wedding. But like most things in weddings, it all sails right over our heads. Right? What in the world is this? If this passage is about true love and what true love really is, then what in the world is this stuff at the beginning, right? We're talking about tongues. We're talking about prophecy, faith, healing, knowledge, miracles, good deeds, sacrifice. But without love, it's nothing. It's like Paul goes through our precious lists, right? We've been talking about every precious list we can possibly find in the Word. And he goes through it, and he says, Listen, y'all, we just talked about all the spiritual gifts the Holy Spirit can give to you. But if you are outside of love, if you are walking outside of love and trying to operate in the Spirit, nothing. You got nothing. One might say, a prophet named Isaiah, that all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. Have you guys heard that one before? Without love, holding this stuff together, because that's what it is. Love is the glue that holds all of the gifts together. Paul says, if you aren't operating in love, don't even try to do any of this stuff. And we've, I mean, we probably have people in this room who have been burned by that, right? You've got somebody who's given you a prophetic word, but then you see them between Monday and Saturday at the bars, slamming them back, swearing like a sailor, right? The talk doesn't line up with the walk, right? We've all seen it, unfortunately, Love has to bind it together. Because if it doesn't, you're not operating in the Spirit. We know this. Christian, we know this. But to, in order to really connect it, in order to get why that's the case, I gotta, I gotta destroy a little lie that we've bought into. And that is this. Love is a verb. You guys have all heard that one, right? Gets preached on Sunday mornings. DC Talk sang a song about it. 
any of you are old enough to remember that. It was before DC Talk was really cool. They were still a rap group back then. And so nobody actually listened to any of those albums except people whose Christian parents made them. So, me. But look, it sounds really nice. Right? Love is a verb. Love's not a noun, guys. It's a verb. You got to get out there and do it. Right? It preaches really good on Sundays. And it's a little understandable because when we read, love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Guys, I taught English. I know verbs, and I know nouns, right? That verse, this passage, leads us to believe our love has to be a love of action, right? And I get it. That's what all of these pastors mean. That's what all of these teachers mean when they say love is a verb, love is a verb. It means stop talking about it and do it. And yes, there are points in our Christian walk where we need that kick in the pants, right? Because we get really good at talking, and not so good at doing. And so there comes a time when we've got to put the rubber to the road and act on what we say we believe. But here is the thing. You know what they say about good intentions, right? It paves the road to hell. Because we can have the best of intentions saying that love is a verb, But the problem is that it strikes against the gospel. If we really step back and look, and we only call love a verb, and we look at 1 Corinthians 13 and say, love is a verb, love is a verb, love is a verb, do, 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 do. It strikes against the very core of the gospel. Because while the gospel is about doing, it is not about your doing. Right? It is not about my doing. It is about Christ's doing, and it is about my being. Not my doing. I've read this to you guys before. It's been a little while, but there's a minister, a British minister named uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he absolutely nails the head on this one. Hits the nail on the head on this one. Nails this one. Pick your analogy, Jeremy. He says, the Christian gospel places all of its primary emphasis upon being rather than doing. The gospel puts greater weight upon our attitude than on our actions. And it is absolutely true. If we view love as a verb, and only a verb, we have converted, yet again, 1 Corinthians 13 into another precious to-do list. Right? And guys, that is the danger with all of this. With every list we have covered in this gifted sermon series is converting it into a Christian to-do list because it is not another list. Because love is not a verb to you, Christian. The Apostle John connects the dots for us in the book of 1 John. This is the first of two times we're going to borrow from this book, but... You know, 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. The book of 1 John is really the love book because it lays out, like, it's just over and over, hammers you about love. But what what does the Apostle John say? 
He says this in chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. So God's a verb? Christian, we know this, right? Your love isn't a verb. Your love is a noun. Well, can it be both, Pastor? It can, but it's got to be in the right order. Because if your love is a verb before it's a noun, you are operating in works righteousness. Manny and I just talked about this this morning. Works righteousness says, I work to be saved. Right? The gospel says, I work because I am saved. Love is a noun first. And because love is a noun and gave his life for me, now I can work. Now I can run the race set before me. Now I can step into my calling. And I can do, and I can do, and I can do. But it's never I do to be saved. It's I do because I am saved. Being comes first. This is what irks me about so many discipleship things, right? I'm going to rag on one of them that I know some of y'all are fond of, so forgive me. But there's this, there, there, one of the big ones is called disciple-making movements, right? DMMs. It's little. It's a, it's a little thing. I just don't like that terminology because, again, it strikes against the gospel. It's not your job to make disciples, right? That's a mistranslation of the Great Commission, the translation is, be a disciple. Go disciple all nations. Be a disciple. And if you go and be a disciple of Christ, I promise you'll make disciples. But don't put the cart before the horse. Because it cuts against the gospel. Let's, let's start disciple being movements. It doesn't sound as cool because it's DBM, and that doesn't sound cool. DMM sounds way better. But the primary emphasis should always be on our being his, right? I love this example that we get from Jesus Christ. But, but when Jesus is baptized, right? Jesus is baptized, right? That's crazy in itself. Jesus didn't have any sin to wash away, but he took the step of obedience to be baptized. He comes up out of the water, and what does God say to Jesus? This is my son in whom I am well pleased, right? Right? Guys, even Jesus Christ, he hadn't done a miracle yet. Not a single miraculous thing had happened yet. And yet, God called him his son. Even Jesus' works stemmed from being, not doing. Right? We've got to get this right. Love is not a verb. It is a person. His name is Yahweh. Father God. His name is Jesus Christ, our holy Messiah. His name is Holy Spirit, our counselor, our comforter, our teacher. Don't rob God of his glory by making this a to-do list. This is a very secular, humanistic chapter, right? Have you guys been to the weddings where people put their names in 1 Corinthians 13? Right? If I'm marrying Jan, I say, Jeremy will always be patient. Jeremy will always be kind right? And they do that. Guys, stop interpreting the Bible based on your secular humanism. The Bible is not about you. 
Do you get that? The Bible is not about you. It's about him. And praise God, he's brought you into his story, right? Your name is in another book, not this one. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life, and we'll get to see that one at the end of time. But for right now, this book is about God. This book is about Jesus, and everything in it points to him. You guys starting to see all of this coming together from this, all of this summer sermon series? Every single precious list that we talked about. It's all coming together. 1 Corinthians 13 isn't a list. It's a description of a person. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, is not a list. It's a description of a person. Ephesians 4, the Spirit's ministry. 1 Corinthians 12, the gifts of the Spirit. These aren't lists to be achieved. It's a description of a person. In fact, the whole Word of God, right? The Gospel of John tells us at the very beginning, smacks you in the face with it just so you don't miss it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And later, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who is the Word? Jesus Christ right? And that's the funny thing. Christian, we know this, right? We know it. If we're, you know, doing our little, you know, Christian study groups, we all get that answer right when we've got to fill in the blank, but we've got to apply it to everything, which means that these aren't lists. Anytime you get to your precious list in here, the Ten Commandments, the law and the prophets, psalms, proverbs, the gifts, the fruit, whatever it is, every list you see in here is not a to-do list. It's a description of our God. It is a description of love himself. And a very real reminder, it's a description of a person who is coming back again. Right, Christian? This is your hope that God is coming back again? Because this is how Paul closes this final word. When perfection comes. And in this we see how it is that we're to attain these lists. How are we supposed to live up to the bar, right? I've said it here before, I'll say it again, probably till I'm blue in the face. It is not about working harder. That's, that's the American gospel, right? Just grab yourself by the bootstraps and pull yourself up, right? Get on out of the mud and work harder. That's not what the gospel says. That's not the gospel. The gospel never says work harder. It says draw closer. Sit at Jesus' feet. Dwell in his presence and he will fire you out. Right? What's Jesus say? My father-in-law likes to say Jesus taught two things when he was resurrected. There were two things the resurrected Jesus taught his disciples. Disciple and wait on the Spirit. You see any work in there at all? Guys, work harder. Now you got the power of the Holy Spirit, so you should really be able to pull your bootstraps up high. You can give yourself a wedgie with your boots. 
That's how high you can pull them. That's not what he says. He says, wait on the Spirit. And as you wait in his presence, he will fire you out. Not in your strength, but in his. Look what Paul says. He says, love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. See, this is what gets me, gets my goose when we talk about gifts of the Spirit. When I see people become so obsessed with the gifts of the Spirit, do you know what it tells me? It tells me that you are far too content in your life here on this earth. Because here's a fact about the gifts of the Spirit. You don't need them in heaven. Come on, somebody. You aren't going to need prophecy in heaven. I want to dare somebody here. I don't know if you'll be able to remember this dare when you get into heaven. I'm not sure how that works with resurrected bodies and such. But I dare you in heaven when you get there to stand up in front of everybody who's there, the throngs and multitudes. Stand up, put your hands in the air, and say, Thus saith the Lord! And then a big booming voice from behind you is going to say, Sit down, Jeremy. They can hear me just fine. Right? I kid, but it makes the point. You're not going to need prophecy in heaven, right? You're not going to need tongues in heaven. You're not going to need, what else do you want? Healing. You're going to be perfectly healed. Faith, right? Oh, I have faith that Jesus Christ exists. Me too, boss. He's standing right there. Right? We don't need them in heaven. So when I become so obsessed with these things on this earth, it shows me my anchor's not in the right spot. Because that's what all of this is, y'all, is an anchor. And our anchor holds within the veil. That veil is inside the Holy of Holies. Inside the very throne room of God. That's where our anchor is. Jesus Christ will someday be standing in front of you. When the perfect comes, and again, don't miss this, the perfect is a person, right? Hebrews 12, 2 tells us that Jesus Christ is the author and perfecter of our faith. When the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. Can I tell you, when you see Jesus face to face, and ladies and gentlemen, if you have given your heart to him, take hope. No matter what you're walking through right now, no matter how tired you are right now, no matter how beat up you are from this world, if you have put your heart in the hands of your Savior, Jesus Christ, you will see him face to face. Let that be your hope. Not that circumstances here will change. You will see him. And when you see him face to face, you will put every single one of these lists away. You will realize more then than ever before that it was never about doing. You will take back every moment of striving that you ever had to just sit at his feet. Jesus, if I would have just put the lists away sooner and just sat at your feet, 
there's an old hymn. It's got probably my favorite line of any hymn. But it says this, Lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him, in him alone, gloriously complete. Because when perfection comes, the person, Jesus, we are made complete. Look how Paul closes. He says, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. The gifts that we walk in right now are used in part. And the part that they play are to point us to Jesus, right? To point us to perfection. To point us to our real eternal home. We covered this in Ephesians 1, right? But the Holy Spirit, this is what Paul tells us in Ephesians 1. The Holy Spirit is our down payment to eternity. He's not something for us to have and to hold right here, right now. He's a constant reminder of where we're going. That this is not our home, but that we have a home with perfection, a perfect home. And then there's this another, I told you, first of two First John sightings that we're going to talk about, but it's, this passage parallels perfectly with what we read here at the end of 1 Corinthians 13. John says this in 1 John 3, 2 through 3. He says, Beloved, now we are children of God. Who are you? Children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Ladies and gentlemen, a day is coming when the mirror is going to be removed. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that right now we see Jesus dimly as if through a mirror, right? Not because of Jesus, not because of anything that he's done, but because of my sin nature. I can't behold him fully yet because I'm not there yet. I can't understand him fully yet because I'm not there yet. But one day, God's going to take that mirror away. One day, God is going to completely rip that veil down to where there is nothing between me and my Savior. And when that happens, look at how cool this is, y'all. When that happens, we will be like him because we will see Jesus exactly as he is. No more guessing, no more faith, no more wondering, but we will see exactly who he is. We will see the fruit of the Spirit in one person and we'll understand, that's me, that's who he's called me to be. We will see the gifts of the Spirit operating in one person. We will see love personified in one person. And when we see it, 
we will become it because we will see him perfectly. But can I give you a little plug from the Holy Spirit here? Don't wait until heaven. Because we may see dimly in a mirror, but we still see, right? The, to- the, the whole veil may not be pulled back yet, but we can still see, right? And even if I can only see a toenail of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that is enough to purify me. Because as I see him, I become holy as he is. Even if I don't get the full picture yet. So don't wait till heaven. Start today. Start now. And how do you do it? By beholding him. By spending time with him. Right now, the Holy Spirit is working in the hearts of everyone who calls himself a Christian. Revealing Jesus Christ, the truth of Jesus Christ to them. The Holy Spirit is moving in your heart right now. He wants to show you who Jesus is. Your finite mind cannot handle the whole thing yet. Promise me. I promise you. (laughs) It can't handle it yet. But that doesn't mean we don't try. We pray every morning, Jesus, give me as much as I can handle today. And then the next day we pray, Jesus, give me as much as I can handle today. And he does. And as he does, it purifies us because our hope is fixed on him, right? So can I ask you, is your hope fixed on Jesus? It's an introspection question. You got to close your eyes and you got to ask the Holy Spirit to do that in you and show you, is your hope fixed on Him and Him alone? Because if your hope is in other stuff, y'all, that stuff doesn't purify you. I know I've been hitting on this a lot lately. So whoever this is for, could you just get it right so we can stop talking about it? I'm just kidding. It's probably for all of us. But guys, the formula, the Christian formula that we've been talking about through all of this is to be with Jesus, right? How do we get there? How do we become more perfect? How do we achieve these lists? How do we, 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 right? We want the practical steps. We're Americans, doggone it. Give me the practical steps. Here it is. Sit at Jesus' feet. That means put down the Christian books. That means put down the podcasts. That means put down, guys, just sit at his feet. Pick up your word and get in it. What if this was the the book that we read more often than any other book? What if this was the study that we studied more than anything else? Look, it's good to get other perspective. It's good to get other ideas from people, but I feel like God is calling some of us into a season of just sitting at his feet. Stop seeking after knowledge. This is a, this is a word for me because I love knowledge, right? I love teaching. I love smart stuff. I need to just sit at his feet because I promise you, you will get more wisdom at the feet of Jesus 
than you will under the tutelage of the smartest Christian that walks this planet. I promise you. But we got to sit at his feet. Because in all of this, it's not about prestige, right? It's not about titles. It's not about power and position. It is all about Jesus. It always has been, and it always will be. So can I plead with you this morning? This is your altar call. There's no music. There's no, no nothing. This is your altar call. Wrap your life. Wrap your life so tightly around Jesus Christ that everything you do becomes about Him. Right? All of this is about Him. All the lists, all the workings, everything, it's about Him. Wrap yourself so tightly around Him that just like the Holy Spirit, nobody sees your ministry. Nobody sees you at all. But you point so perfectly to Jesus that they look right past you and see our glorious Savior. Can you do it? No, you can't. I suckered you there. Gotcha. Ha ha. You can't do it, right? Guys, this is the gospel. We'll preach this till we're dead here at the gospel house. I can't, but Jesus did and will through the Holy Spirit in me. That's the gospel in one sentence. You cannot do it on your own, which means that every day you wake up, you got to surrender new. Every, every moment, guys, I, don't even, I can't even make it an hour without turning back to selfish Jeremy, right? Every moment of every day, I've got to pray that prayer. This Psalm 139, 23 to 24, it's a great prayer if you're looking for a surrender prayer. David says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. If you make that your prayer, if you pray that in the morning, if you pray it at lunch, if you pray it at dinner, I promise you, surrender will find you. And as surrender finds you, so will the presence of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray, and then I'll turn it over to Miss Lisa to close us out. Lord Jesus, oh, you're just so holy, God. We can't even wrap our minds around how holy and perfect you are. But God, we want to try. And so we come before you, Lord. We bow at your feet. And with all the rest of creation, we worship you. And Holy Spirit, we pray, give us everything you've got to give us today. Help us to stop depending upon ourselves and help us to rely completely and wholly on you, Holy Spirit, as you lead us. As the world looks at us, I pray that they wouldn't see us, Lord God, but that everything we do would be wrapped so tightly around our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that all of our life would point to him. We give you all of the glory and all of the honor, Lord. Have your way in us. Have your way in this church. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel House Podcast. 
We pray that you are pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learn to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button, leave us a rating, and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house backslash connect. Fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you and remember the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.